1: to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel is going to be our guest, Carol Zerniel, today. And I'll explain that. Carol, as many of you know, is a nationally recognized gerontologist. She was named one of the nation's top 50 Influencers in Aging for 2017 by Next Avenue, and she serves as Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and Vice President of Social Responsibility for WellMed Medical Management. And she joins us on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. A strange way to bring you on as a guest, but you're still the co-host.
2: Well, thank you very much. Um, for, for those that don't realize how small our radio studio really is, um, we're social distancing, and I'm all the way across town for today's call and for today's show.
1: So you're more than six feet from me. That's correct.
2: (laughs) I am absolutely more than six feet away.
1: Now, one of the reasons I was hoping you'd agree to do this uh, is because the amount of work that WellMed Medical Management and the WellMed Charitable Foundation are putting into trying to understand and help people with with COVID-19 is just amazing. And as someone who is a WellMed patient, me, someone who is a member of one of the WellMed City of San Antonio uh, senior centers uh, over at Ingram, uh, that's me, uh, I've experienced uh, very quickly ways in which you've been reaching out uh, to the body of people who are part of WellMed. I get calls from i a nurse practitioner from my clinic. I got calls from the senior center asking, how am I doing? And you know what? That felt pretty good, Carol.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I hope and I believe... That other medical groups, other nonprofits are doing the same thing because so many uh, people who are older, 60 and older, or those with chronic conditions are really at highest risk. And the number one thing we want all of them to do is stay home. I cannot stress that enough. I mean, at some point, Everyone needs to stop going to the grocery store and Home Depot and shopping every day because there's nothing else to do. Um, You know, we will have much better results if all of us stay home, but from a health standpoint, for those who are 16 and over, it is imperative that they stay home, and we hope their caregivers will stay home with them as much as possible because we want to limit the exposure of everybody that goes in and out of that household.
1: Now, I've been just amazed at uh, the kind of response that uh, a company like WellMed and others, as you point out, have made, and I'm curious about how much pre-planning and preparation goes into that. I know WellMed uh, and others had experience with Hurricane uh, Harvey that smashed parts of Texas, and uh, the company was able to reach out. But there's never been anything uh, like this COVID-19. How did WellMed uh, put together the kind of outreach uh, that is in place now?
2: Well, you know, we started several weeks ago. I think we're in our third week of 7 a.m. calls. So every morning at 7 a.m., leadership across the organization as well as a lot of supervisors get us on the phone from every market in Texas and Florida. And we compare notes uh, to, to plan and to hear what's going on in the community. And it's been fascinating and, and a little bit intimidating to hear the cases grow. So we're hearing from all the clinics, all the physicians, how many people in the community you know originally had uh, tested positive for COVID if there were tests how many tests are available, um, and then it's how many staff have been exposed, how many people are in quarantine, how many positive cases have we had in the clinics. And so the ramping up has been establishing processes to keep everyone safe, and that, uh, most of all, has included standing up an entire telehealth, which is, you know, telephone calls uh, by your provider, or actually I should say it's through a smart device because you want to have a camera. So it's a secure way of having our physicians reach out to our half-million patients across the country via telehealth. So we have secure mechanisms, secure software that allows us to do it, but think Facebook right? Right. This is a doctor basically on Facebook talking to his patients. We have separated out all of the patients who have any kind of contagious or think they have a contagious respiratory problem into respiratory clinics so that those people are not in contact at all with other people who have, you know, the same health problems they had before COVID-19. So all those with their managing their diabetes and with other chronic illnesses are going to a clinic that doesn't see anyone that could possibly think they had COVID-19, we're calling all of our patients ahead of time to ask, you know, how are you feeling? Do you have a temperature? Do you have any symptoms? Is there Have you been exposed to anybody? And trying to screen them before they get in, and now um, we're like sonic drive-in. If you go to a respiratory clinic and and you're wanting to be tested, they come, well, mid-clinic staff come out to the car. They're screening people in their cars, uh, and they're screening people at the door before they ever even get into the clinic, all to limit that exposure to everyone else, whether they're staff or other patients.
1: Like Sonic, have we put them on roller skates?
2: We should put them on roller skates. You know, they got walkie-talkies so that they can call back and right. tell the people inside the clinic what's going on with the patient in the car. So to stand up, I think we've added like 700 physicians to our telehealth platform wow. um, in, in a week in one week. We've nope. trained them, we've given them the software, um, and then we have a whole cadre of employees that stop doing their regular jobs, and we're calling the patients, saying, w- are you willing to enroll in telehealth? Can we, you know, contact you through this telehealth platform and do your appointment?
1: If you've just joined us, you're listening to caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with our co-host Carol Zerdiel, executive director of the Wellmed Charitable Foundation and vice president in social responsibility for Wellmed. She is involved very heavily in what the Wellmed response has been and other. Healthcare providers are doing the same thing. Uh, What Wellman's response has been to uh, COVID-19, she's on a 7 a.m. call every day. Uh, You were able to get me onto that call because I'm like a fly on the wall. I was curious uh, about how those calls go. So I've been listening in. And as you said, Carol, it is both very intimidating and in some ways scary uh, when they go through market after market after market and talk about those who have been Uh, diagnosed positive uh, with with COVID-19. But I've also been very impressed with how professional uh, that call is listening uh, to folks from across the country who are on that call. And then, of course, uh, you know, both both of us know and you know her better than I do. Jimmy Keenan, uh, who runs that call, uh, former head of nurses in the Army, retired general. Man, you can see she was a general.
2: Well, I mean, I feel sorry for everyone who doesn't have General Jimmy Keenan in charge of their operations because she is a logistics mastermind, uh, and they have gotten these calls down to just the facts, ma'am. Uh, and, and, but, you know, her calm leadership, as well as Dr. Hernandez. Carlos Hernandez is our um, chief medical officer. He's the president of the medical group. Uh, and, you know, I'm sorry, Dr. Whitaker is the chief medical officer. Dr. Carlos Hernandez is the president of the medical group. Right. And then Jimmy. And that leadership, along with Brian Grunhafer, who's a, the president of WellMed, uh, has been extraordinary. Um, and, I, you know, I think that what I hope people are seeing in their communities who are listening, maybe you're at home home and you're not seeing it, but what's going on behind the scenes is we are having phone calls and discussions and working out details of how to help patients, how to help uh, seniors in the community, how to help caregivers, and if I need to talk with anybody in the company to iron some kind of uh, protocol out so that things run smoothly, they're there for me. I have had access to anyone I need to resolve any problem I come up with for a patient or a member. It has been um, really just an amazingly collaborative process.
1: Now, for those who don't know, we, we do know that because schools are closed, a lot of kids depend on those school lunches. So schools have made uh, a way to make that happen. But many seniors at the senior centers, uh, the WellMed City of San Antonio centers and the Wellman standalone centers also get a free lunch. And without that lunch, many of them won't have a meal for that day. And you've made arrangements to have people do a drive through to pick up those lunches.
2: That's right. We converted. You know, it used to be that in our senior centers, everyone came into the dining room, they sat down, they chatted, the lunch was served, um, and now they drive by in their cars and our staff are passing out the meals. You know, they've got gloves and they've got masks and the, the members don't get out of their car. They just hand it into the window again. Sonic Drive-In, drive-by, and the line of cars is around the building. Um, Some of our, I think in San Antonio, we're serving around 600 meals a day. Wow! uh, To to our members in Dallas, we have about 70 people a day that get meals. Uh, And now we're we're starting to try to reduce the risk of exposure, and so they might get one hot meal, and we'll give them two frozen meals with that. That'll last three days. Uh, Some smaller communities are doing um, seven-day deliveries. I just read that some of the Meals on Wheels are going to be delivering two weeks worth of frozen meals in one delivery because their volunteer base is getting harder and harder to find.
1: Uh, And uh, uh, did I not read about a a contribution from George Rapier uh, and Kim Rapier, their foundation, to help Meals on Wheels and others deliver food to seniors?
2: Well, we just got a million dollars from our founder, from WellMed, and he's the chairman of the board for the WellMed Charitable Foundation, that he provided to Meals on Wheels to help you know, make sure they've got enough money to buy those additional meals for people who would have otherwise been put on a wait list.
1: I want to talk in just a minute. We'll do a little business at our end and come back to you uh, about uh, what's next, where this goes. The senior centers have been closed for, for good reason. So what happens to those folks who have really depended on it? We've told the stories over and over again about how those senior centers uh, literally change people's lives. So what are we doing to help them, and how is that working out? I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel and our guest, Carol Zernil, who's with us on our Caregiver SOS on Air hotline. Be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19, or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus, you are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for as long as necessary. This is a free service anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Thank you so much for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air today. I'm Ron Aaron. We're delighted to have as our not only co-host, but special guest, Carol Zernial is with us on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline. And uh, Carol, uh, we've been talking about the response of uh, WellMed and the response of the community uh, to the COVID-19 virus. Uh, at the senior centers, uh, you and I both have heard uh, at the annual Give meetings that we have where people uh, talk about what it's been like to be a member of the Senior Center, who have talked about how that place has changed their lives, and now they're shuttered, they can't get in. What are we doing to reach out to them?
2: Well, it's not just us, but, uh, you know, we're we're fortunate. We've got tech-savvy people at our senior centers, and we have moved uh, a lot of our services online. Uh, it was... Uh, amusing last week. We posted our first exercise video on Monday a week ago, and we had, I think, 67 hits, and we were thrilled. 67 people checked out our exercise video. Well, the next video that we posted, 14,000 people saw the video.
0: Wow. So
2: it it seems that our Senior Center audience is finding our videos. Um, I'm a member of a YMCA. They are also hosting exercise classes online, we're doing art classes, our Beale House Arts is providing art classes online, I've seen those, and so it's it's amazing how much you can get online. Unfortunately for me, I'm one of those people not on Facebook, and most of this is on <laughs> Facebook. So there's a lot on YouTube as well. Um, and if you're a caregiver uh, there's at home, and, and a lot of caregivers haven't been able to get out and about much anyway, there has never been a better time to find something uh, that you need online.
1: Your son Ben could get you onto Facebook if you want to do that.
2: Well, he could. I, you know, I just have to wake him up you know, after yeah. a night of video games.
1: I understand that. That's teenage life, right?
2: Teenage life, yeah.
1: Now, for you, uh, it's been a huge change in what your every day is like. How are you coping with it?
2: well, i'm you know I've got family members uh, that are in the high risk category, and so we really don't you know my eye is on the prize thats staying home as much as possible. And so you know we're we're trying to comply with all of that. Trying not, we don't go to the grocery store very often. We we kind of got ourselves situated with a few trips early on, and, and we're going to continue to respect that stay-at-home. Um, but for those other people who really get their energy, i have i been working, you know, just some really crazy hours right. trying to make sure all of our services are there. But for those that are really at home and they're not working or they've lost their income, you know, these these are very. Difficult times, and if you are an outgoing social butterfly, um, you know that gets their energy from interacting with everybody else. It's a huge
1: change. As you think about uh, what this change is like, and this will pass COVID nineteen at some point. That a uh, huge curve is going to flatten out, and it will become once that vaccine comes online in a year or so. It'll become something you protect yourself from. Uh, How much do you think life will go back to what it was, Carol Zerniel, in the senior centers, in the clinics, and in society at large?
2: Well, you know, I hope that it can go back at least to what it looked like during flu season so that we provide free vaccines, flu shots, you know, at our centers, encourage everyone to get them. Um, Even a vaccine is not going to eliminate everyone from getting the virus. So I suspect... Um, that we will have new ways of interacting. I I think that a lot of people will, will stay online. It may be that during flu season, we all are wearing masks. Um, they may not be surgical masks and 95 masks. Uh, we They're probably going to start selling regular masks at stores. When we all go back, can finally go back to a store, there's going to be boutiques with all kinds of fun uh, cloth masks that are washable for those of us to wear just on a daily basis with non-medical needs. Now, so, you know, it might be things like that.
1: In other parts of the world, masks have been pretty common. When you see video uh, from Japan, for example, there are a lot of people who wear masks.
2: That, that's correct, and and the guidance, you know, they're, they're still studying whether that would be something that we should be doing just on a, a regular basis whenever there's an outbreak. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to a day that maybe there's not a big outbreak going on and we have a respite from all of this social distancing.
1: Now, this being a show that uh, is for and about caregiving and caregivers, uh, as you think about the caregiver who, and Dr. Jamie did take 10 uh, today, and we talked about how on show after show after show before COVID 19, uh, his mantra was don't isolate. Now, of course, it's that- isolate.
2: Isolate. So yes, th- you know, it's. It, I've had several thoughts, uh, and I did write a column in our Signals newsletter when COVID first started about how, you know, what do you do when the one thing you're not supposed to do becomes the one thing you're supposed to do? Exactly. Uh, isolate. Uh, and, and what a shift that is. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're not cut off. So, There's a huge difference between social distancing staying in your home, and being cut off from communication with others. This is a time to get in touch with your old friends that you haven't talked to in a while, to reconcile with family members over the phone and have those conversations. This is a time to volunteer to be a telephone buddy or a Facebook buddy or a FaceTime buddy with somebody else, somebody else who's also having to stay at home, check in with them daily. How are they doing? Are they having any symptoms? Do they have food in the home? You know, there are so many people in need, and all of us can be that voice, that person in the community that cares for someone else. It's a great time to adopt a friend, a relative, a neighbor.
1: We have a neighbor who's wife uh, is in a memory unit, and I was talking to him uh, the other day. Jimmy's a good friend. He's in his 80s. He has gone to visit his wife, even though she doesn't know him anymore. He goes to that memory unit twice a day. He has lunch with her. He has dinner with her. Saturdays, he was taking her to the beauty shop, and he laughed. He said, really, for me, more than her, because she had no idea. Uh, And I said, yesterday, are they letting you in to see her? Uh, And he said, no. He started to cry. He said, they take us, uh, if we want to go over there, uh, from the outside, they can look in a big window and and see some of the residents. And he said, you know, for my wife, it it doesn't do anything because she doesn't recognize me anyhow. And he was talking about how tough that is. And I worry about him.
2: Well, and and I I would agree with you. I think the... um Congregate living facilities, the skilled nursing facilities, the assisted living, the memory care they've had to lock down after what happened in Washington state in Seattle, where the you know they're all so at risk for this covid virus to have a, a negative outcome, and so many people died right that they're not they can't let people in and on our seven a m calls we hear about our nursing homes in our markets that it's going through those nursing homes as well. Um, it's 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 really awful and the pictures of the family members pre- you know with their hands against the glass trying right. to to reach out to their loved ones um, and so this is one of those uh, situations where there's pain you know that this is a this is a pain point and there's not a workaround for it uh, other than to recognize that the gentleman that you're describing who used to be able to go and visit his wife you know, he, he needs some comfort. He, needs, he may need counseling. He may need a, a phone number to call, but he needs something to help him understand that he's doing the best he can. And that inside the facility, they're doing the best that they can. And every minute he spent with his wife leading up to this point, what a gift. Right. And he needs to remind himself he gave that gift.
1: He's a graduate of Virginia Military Institute, military uh, retiree, you know, one of the people who doesn't like to show emotion, but he does show it now. And we've told him that uh, w- w- literally we're next door, that we're available 24-7, and, and so far getting him uh, to follow up and to reach out has been very difficult. He just isn't ready to do that. But you're right, Carol, he should. He needs to talk to somebody.
2: Well, and we encourage, we encourage caregivers anyway to not hold all of that emotion in. to have somebody that you trust to talk to somebody in your church not a friend a relative a, a therapist uh, and I would say that's times ten now because you are more isolated the people that used to get out and maybe drop by and see you they don't do that anymore or you can't go into a facility so none of us can do this alone it is scary out there I'll admit that it's scary and it's painful And so I just encourage everyone to find somebody else to either help you or you help them.
1: One of the issues that uh, uh, people are worried about, especially when it comes to caregivers, is the fear that begins to take over their lives. How how do you deal with that fear?
2: Well, I think that there there is this illusion that at any point we were in control in the past. Um, And I think Dr. Jamie talks about how, um, you know, this feeling of lack of control, that's what makes us you know, as caregivers kind of go off the deep end. And so we're really not in control. And just recognizing that the only person we can control is ourselves and how we react to the situation. And so at some point I know that I've, you know, I've had to sit back and say, who do I want to be in this crisis? And who I want to be is is not the person whose life is consumed with fear. And so I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other Uh, and try to address the needs of my family, to try to help our patients, try to help our caregivers, uh, and continue uh, to provide some assistance to others, because that's how I'm going to get through the fear that I feel.
1: I was asking Dr. Jamie about uh, providers in the medical community, uh, how this situation now is so different for them, and he had an interesting perspective. He said, no, they went to medical school to care for people, and, and now They are really, really caring for people. Down the road, at some point, PTSD and burnout may come in. But at the moment, he said, those folks on the firing line are doing what medical school trained them to do.
2: Well, you know, I see them as just like first responders. They are. They're the firemen that runs into the burning building. They're the policemen that run towards the person that's shooting. These doctors are the ones running into the room for the people who have COVID-19. Uh, and they're doing it sometimes without the protective gear. At WellMed, we're so fortunate. Right now, we have the protective gear that we need today, and we hope that continues. But you know, they had a wonderful article in the New York Times that I saw that physicians are acknowledging some of us are not going to make it out alive. We're going to expo- get exposed to COVID, and we're not going to make it. And they're making out their wills. But that doesn't mean that they're going to stop practicing medicine. They, they acknowledge that diseases viruses kill people. They've seen it. They know it. It could be them. But that's not going to stop them from helping. Uh, and when, you know, I have such admiration. They are the heroes on the front line.
1: It's interesting because that is what happens uh, when a military, and, and you're a military wife as well, for a lot of years your husband was in the military. When they go into combat, uh, they're asked to make out a will if they haven't already.
2: That's right. Um, and it's it's a good time for you know everyone to think about because you don't know if you're going to get infected, you don't know if you're going to have symptoms, how bad they're going to be, um, and uh, there are going to be a certain number of people who don't survive. It's not a maudlin thought. It's a practical thought. You know, I, I also saw an article about uh, somebody and all their stuff, and now they're really panicking. Oh my gosh, what if something happens to me? Huh. Who's going to take care of this stuff? My relatives will kill me twice. That's interesting. Die once of COVID and once from the relatives. Wow. Um, and so, huh. you know, it, it, you yeah, know, it's it's a practical approach. We're, we're all um, going to die of something. You know, the death rate in the United States has been a hundred percent throughout time. So uh, it may be that time is is a little shorter now. And so it's it's a good time to get your affairs in order.
1: Speaking of short, we're flat out of time. Carol Zerniel, co-host and special guest today. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.